Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hello and welcome back to what is series 11 of Food for Thought. I can't thank you enough for your support over the years and I'm just so happy to be back with another jam-packed, literally jam-packed series. This latest series examines so many fascinating topics which I just know that you'll all love. I am Rhiannon Lambert, for those of you that don't know, a registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. So over the next 12 weeks, my expert guests and I's aim is to expose why so much advice can often be misleading and harness you with the truth. We'll be using proven science to sort fact from fiction and dispel everything that remains confusing in the world of wellness. We live in a society that never literally stops with endless opportunities and constant expectations. The divide between work and free time has rapidly become off kilter, affecting a multitude of factors, including our physical and mental health. This week's Food for Thought sees Grace Beverly and I discuss the ultimate work-life balance. Hello, Grace. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, Grace, I think it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've followed your journey for a very long time and it's been quite a remarkable one. I think we should kick off right away and go straight in there with the question I think everyone's going to want to know. And that is the fact that (laughs) is it really possible, Grace, to get that balance right I mean between work and play because everyone says you know you have to work really hard don't you yeah I mean I think for me the question is less about getting a balance right and more about understanding that there there's going to be a different balance at every point it's never 50 50 it's never going to be you know a a static balance there's going to be some give and take dependent on where you are in your life whether you're working on a really hard project whether you're applying for a new job and and for me it's about really understanding exactly what my balance looks like at any one time and then being able to navigate that rather than expecting it to look exactly like one certain way all the time. 
Mm, because I, I guess from reading your book, which is amazing, by the way, it's so interesting because Thank I think you. you you draw in from so many sources. You've got mentions of, um, you know, classic psychological studies. Um, I was reading about Maslow in there and then you were quoting other authors. And it's quite interesting to see as well that if we can do that and we can get the balance right, that our productivity, I guess, can soar and perhaps we have more space in our brain to generate these new waves of inspiration yeah i think so and i think the the key is that actually everyone's productivity will be different everyone's idea of what productivity is will be completely different and actually understanding what that is for ourselves i think is the most important thing and what i really wanted to do for the book was kind of avoid any blanket applications or avoid any classic kind of very marketable how to be grace quote unquote type things mm. and instead just be like I guess this is what I can help you to ask to make your working life better. This isn't about me. This is about how you can do that and the questions you need to start asking to actually examine what your relationship with work is, whether you tie your self-worth to your kind of productivity um, and all of these bigger questions, which I think really need to start being asked more. They really do, because you mentioned self-worth there, and I think self-efficacy is another one. And there's so many points to our mindset and the way that we view the world and see the world that I think has an impact on how we choose to act. And you did mention um, as well that you didn't want the book to be, I guess, just targeting women. And mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people in, in the media, they see a successful woman, don't they? And straight away, it's, oh, a woman can do it, can't they? That's yeah. the kind of attitude. What are your thoughts on that? I, 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 I'm in two minds because I think I think there's a real problem with kind of girl boss feminism and with the kind of girl boss rhetoric and I, it pisses me off to be perfectly honest every time anyone's like she's a you know like I get it and I, I think it's really important to celebrate and to promote and to acknowledge female entrepreneurship and and female success and all of that however what I do think is important is not I guess it's not a it's not a qualifying factor of what I am and therefore it's I think also important to be able to apply that on a wider scale and not necessarily narrow it down and pigeonhole all successful women or all women in general as you know kind of outliers or mm. I guess exceptions to the rule I think that can be more harmful than it can be good and don't get me wrong one of my you know real driving factors is I really love helping women and helping women build their businesses I do a lot of kind of mentorship around that um, and that's really important to me and I've you know I really gravitate towards that however I also <laughs> I guess I know too that you know any woman who's doing something will also it shouldn't then just be marketed towards women and it isn't mm. just then applicable towards women. Um, and I think that can be really harmful when, you know, a lot of the time when I was talking about the book and all of that, instantly people assumed they were like, oh, it's going to be a women's working handbook or a woman's <laughs> handbook to productivity. And I was like, where have you got the idea of women's from? You've only got that because I'm a woman. So does mm. that mean I can only speak to oh. women about this? Because... I know that in my own right, I've been successful, I guess, not just as a woman, not that that's kind of a bad thing yeah. at all. I just think it's problematic when you start to assume based on that, that it must be for women because it's by women. 
It's so complex. I mean, even when you just spoke about it, my mind is going into overdrive with so many different areas that we could go down just from that one um, that one line that you said, you know, just because it's a book written by a woman. And I did actually see something on the news the other day that said that COVID, um, the result of the impact of the pandemic, has set women back, though, in sense of mm. where they were getting in society with being equal. And I guess that's a whole other topic, but the language that we use around things, if we apply this back to our work rather than gender, and the approach we have towards our work, it can have such a fundamental impact, can't it, on the results? I guess that's psychological as well as how others will then look at it. Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, the wider conversation, I guess, I guess, you know, I, I address that in the introduction, but I kind of move on from it quite quickly, because I think, like, you know, it's more of like, a let's get this straight. This isn't, this isn't for this, this and this. And please don't assume it is. Um, and I guess if you're not into having this conversation, because it's written by a woman, and you're not a woman, then you're missing out on an important conversation. That's not, that's not for me to deal with. That's not, you know, <laughs> it's not my business. Mm. Um, and, and I think, you know, you're, you're completely right in the way that actually what we need to be what we need to be talking about is these things that actually affect everyone on a wider scale and everyone differently. Um, and that's really wanted uh, what I wanted to address. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I guess you ha in a way, so what I find quite fascinating and something you also mentioned is that you are aware of the privilege and the background you've had in the sense, I think you said, you know, you've been to private school, but you also have an eclectic taste of extracurriculars in a way. I mean, I mean, you studied music, which girl after my own heart, I'm a huge music <laughs> advocate, you know, I'm a singer originally, and I do find that you've gone down such an opposite route to your degree in a way you do what you love is it because your love changed from music that that you then decided to follow a career in doing what you love and do you think that's part of the success um do you know what I think actually the idea of you know I I studied music and my background very much was in music I um you know I studied at the Royal Academy before I went to Oxford mm. and was really um you know, it was always what I did. It was always, it was how I went to the schools I went to with the scholarships. And um, it was always a huge part of my life. I, I knew it wasn't going to be my career, I guess. I, I think, I think in a way it was because my idea of success wasn't related to that. It was very much related to your classic, traditional, corporate, um, shiny boardrooms and all of that. And that was kind of how I saw success on a wider level. And therefore mm. for me as someone who wanted to be a really high achiever, I think I just had this completely warped view that that couldn't include, which is insane because also my mum is in the arts and, um, and kind of has always loved that and has worked really hard to be doing that. Um, and, and yet, I guess my view of success was kind of that I, I, I'd done that music and I that was very much like a benchmark that I saw about, you know, hard work and how hard work always beats talent and everything. Um, and, and that taught me a lot, but I always knew mm. that it wasn't going to be um, my career. Um, and actually, I think now that was kind of sad in a way and that was al almost completely shaped by the idea of what I saw as very traditional success um, as a product of, I guess, my environment. And um, and actually, when I look back now, I think like, God, I would have loved to work in music. I would have loved to be a music mm. producer. I would have loved to even be in music management or to work at a big, big music um, production company or something like that. And and But that actually was never in my mind because I didn't see it as kind of shiny capital S success, which is completely yeah. incorrect. I think um, the part that's so interesting in that is that it's how you define success and how you viewed it, which also shaped what you aspired to. And 
it, you know, I guess some people see success as just being happy. Others see it, like you said, the shiny boardroom and someone else may mm. see it because of how their parents have imposed it on them growing up. And I guess if someone suddenly realized, hang on a minute, I'm not happy in what I'm doing right now. What advice would you give to them to, I guess, switch careers and make that change? Because you definitely have done that. You've got a multitude of different areas, haven't you? Fingers in different pies, as we like to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I guess what I want to draw attention to there as well is I had the freedom to do that because I was at kind of what I considered a three year limbo by being at university, where I didn't need to take a leap of faith. I didn't need to quit my job to do something else I didn't need to I guess change everything to pursue one big passion and actually I don't think I had or have one big passion at all um or kind of purpose even um and I think actually the important thing to do in that type of situation is to work out how you can get more and more of that into your daily life and it might you know it might be something that it means that you'd need to actually, you know, you do need to quit your job or that would have real results for you. But often as well, I think there's a high glamorization around the idea of just like quitting your job and changing your life and going it and mm. being able to do something hyper fulfilling and hyper lucrative. And actually, oftentimes like your your work first of all your work is needed to kind of pay your bills and to be able to and that comes with a certain happiness and security as well. So often what can be even more beneficial is I guess implementing little bits of what you love into your daily life, whether that's your work or whether you just work until five to pay the bills and then go and do other things you love and being mm. able to kind of litter that throughout and not just viewing it as the idea that actually, if you're not fulfilling your purpose at the age of 24, then you need to quit your job and change your career and all of that. Because mm. I think that's a concept that's been very warped and sold to us through this idea that you should be fulfilling your purpose on the first stage of the career ladder rather than something that kind of is amazing but probably only after x amount of years and after x amount of trials and errors and mm. all of that yeah it's almost as if we do put bench maybe it's societal norms benchmarks like i know a lot of people have the number 30 in their head by the time i'm 30 i want to have achieved x y and z and then i think perhaps social media i wonder what your views on this have have glamorized the or incentivize people to think oh I'm just going to do this and they don't see the uh the graph that's gone into it so there's this kind of perception isn't there of an overnight success and the reality is different isn't it yeah I mean absolutely I think it's really really important to um to to draw attention to because you know I wanted to write this book and I, I guess I had interest to write a book about the idea of productivity and managing your time and success and all of these things but bearing in mind the fact that I'm I'm, I'm 24 I've yeah I've done, done this that and the other but also I, I can only know what I know and I don't want to pretend that I know any more than that and actually mm. the important thing for me here was kind of drawing attention as well to the idea that when people see my success there's a whole load of context you might not see there's a when you see me posting at 10 p.m still working like I'll probably still get eight hours of sleep that night because that's really important to me and I really wanted to I guess create a more realistic representation of what hard work looks like also incorporating the ideas of rest and the ideas of enjoyment and the ideas that it's not you know if you do love what you do and I do um it's not going to be great all the time and I know that's not kind of <laughs> it's not wholly groundbreaking but actually it was so important to me as someone who probably is a symbol of I guess hustle culture for a lot of people mm. to acknowledge the realistic um kind of the realistic side of that and what that actually looks like because otherwise you know 
if other, if I guess my view of hustle culture and the representation of what the hustle looks like on social media was so warped for me, then the best mm. thing I can do is not warp that for other people. I mean, there's definite there's definite generation shifts, I think, in the way people mm. view that. I think you do it really well. You are realistic and honest about it because there will be people listening to this that think, well, you know, I'm a young single parent or I don't have mm -hmm. X, Y and Z and stress and anxiety right now are getting the better of me. So the concept of working less must seem completely alien. What would you say to those types of individuals that are thinking, well, how on earth do I work less but still get what I need from it? It's a big question, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. What I really wanted to make clear in the book as well is that it's not... I guess the most frustrating thing would be if you're looking at someone who's 24 saying like you need to step back and rest more so that you can go further and you've got three children and you're trying to balance a job and a job that has no flexibility and you have to commute two hours and get the kids from school and all of that and that's just that's not helpful it's not it's not helpful as a blanket application and that's why it was so important for me in the book to actually I guess you know I can only do things from my experience but what I can do is I can also offer up the questions and offer up the, I guess, changes in that to be able to see how this can work for you as an individual rather than how I'm telling you, me with all the mobility in the world, how I'm telling you, you can kind of work better. But I think what is important, um, you know, is that view of rest and the, I guess, the change in the idea that rest is not something you earn because you're close to burnout, but it's something that is a mm. essential and constant part of your life daily even hourly certainly weekly and kind of beyond and I guess you know there are times where I think oh yeah I need to step back because I'm really I'm really burnt out here I really can't do anymore and and I can't you know there's a crisis that calls people people's livelihoods rely on me I have employees I have you know customers I have all yeah. of these things and so, you know there can be a recognition that actually rest is important and also you still not being able to do it and I think I wanted to make that clear so that we have this I guess a removal of this kind of this internalization that you have to be working all the time in order for it to be hard work but also an acknowledgement that that doesn't mean that you can kind of be like oh sorry boss I have to um rest now because I think my work's going to be better so I'm not going to work for mm. the rest of the week that that's also not realistic so I guess it's a change in our perceptions and our internalizations and what we hold as true in a kind of blanket sense and instead an analysis on a wider level and an acknowledgement that actually where we can rest can really help and rest should mm. not be a reward it should be a I mean, it's a necessity. You can't you have think, productivity without rest. Yeah, a hundred percent. And do you think external factors matter too? For for instance, who you surround yourself with? Because um, I guess anecdotally, I can speak on the level that I've been in an environment for a very long time that kind of just taught me to say, well, you're in charge of X, Y, Z. You have no choice but to work all hours under the sun because if you don't do it, no one's going to do it for you. I guess mm -hmm. if you had people need to surround themselves with people that support you and enable you to take that time. Yeah, I, I think there's in part that, but I think also that's particularly difficult when, you know, when you're on a grad scheme and trying to make it 
to the end of the grad scheme and then get a permanent job or you're you're kind of brand new in your retail job and actually there's no way that you can say like I need to take a rest because mm. you, you know you need to do your shift and and if you don't or you're in a zero hours contract and if you don't start taking your shifts then you don't get shifts and so there's kind of like I guess that in an ideal world, yes, there would be that recognition, but actually that's largely not going to be the case, especially with the change in work culture and the, I guess the idea that, you know, side hustles are everything and every minute that you're not working (laughs) on one thing, you should be working on something else. Um, But I think it's kind of our duty in like, yeah, as you kind of say in an ideal world, that would be great. But more than that, it's important because that's not entirely realistic. It's important to have our own views on that, that we can kind of hold true and know where our boundaries are when it comes to work. Yeah, the boundaries, that's so important because I think our interests, they, they're now elevated, aren't they, to business opportunities. So I guess, where do you draw the line? Like, how do you even get to that point where you think, hang on, this is a bit much right now? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag. A watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Oh, well, I think I think the important thing there is actually learning to draw the line before you get there. And I know, Mm. you know, there's I guess there's kind of prevention and cure and there's proactivity and reactivity. And I think what's really important with um, the idea of productivity and rest is that you start to have a better view of what that means to you from the off. So it's not always reactive when you're instating rest. It's not always reactive when you're putting down your work and saying, actually, I need to go on a walk instead. you need to be able to, I guess, otherwise you kind of are fighting a losing battle. It's better than nothing because you still have that recognition there. But actually, you know, I know in advance that 
I need to take weekends, most weekends, unless I have a crisis and just can't. Um, but you know, that's in a needs must scenario. I also know that if I do something more than two weeknights um, a week, I will be dead and my work won't be good and I won't feel mm. rested and I won't stick to my routine, which brings me a lot of joy and fulfillment and makes me feel like I have my life together and kind of <laughs> other things like that. And, and that's through. And so I think that's what's very important in the prevention is actually understanding your own work habits, your own work boundaries, your own ideas of where things get too much, whether it's kind mm. of emotional stress or work stress, or, you know, there are so many different types of, I guess, labor um, on ourselves. And so kind of understanding that before you get to a point where you have to be reactive about it is best. And then, you know, but then there'll still be times where you get it wrong. There'll still be times where you think, mm. oh God, I've stuck to all my rules this week. And yet I still feel like death <laughs> and I still <laughs> feel like I can't push forward. And that's when you just say, okay, cool, that's fine. But but being proactive will be, and preventative will be far uh, more effective, I guess, in the long run in actually creating that idea of, you know, hashtag balance. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of self-exploration there, learning a lot about what makes you tick, what you need to thrive. And I love that you mentioned routine because I think as human beings, um, sometimes we try and fight it, but actually, and I only know from having a child that they love routine. And it's so interesting to see what we lose as we grow older in terms of not listening to our innate um emotions and our innate responses things that we want to do we tend to kind of switch off and just listen to societal expectations so we do need to prioritize ourselves don't we yeah and I think what's also I don't I think one of the important things now as well is to acknowledge the fact that that's not necessarily just because we're all like all everyone in these younger generations have suddenly been born super impressionable or super kind of <laughs> entitled or or kind of not able to work actually it's more just that if if the if all of these ideas around comparison productivity self-worth success the list goes on are so constantly and ubiquitously surrounding us from literally like a little screen in our hands then it's not it's not surprising it's not that we're suddenly all narcissistic and need to be comparing ourselves to everyone and this that and the other it's a product of the environment that we now exist within and therefore you know and that has had kind of huge changes on our generation and how we work and how we do things and we can't we can't just look at that and just be like oh well this generation's like this so that's why they don't work hard because <laughs> there's never going to be a whole generation of people that are the exact same um so I think I think that's really important to look at too and that's why in the book I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just saying like oh you use social media less because like yes for a lot of people that will be good but also if you need to be on LinkedIn to get a job and you need mm. to be your business needs to be on Instagram in order yeah. to get clients or to get orders or anything then it's just that's that's not productive that's not constructive that's <laughs> obstructive mm. and so like how can we use it better to further yes. ourselves or to kind of examine our relationships um I think that's the important thing to ask I mean the online world's a funny one isn't it I think because it's still I mean in terms of the field of science it's relatively new with how it impacts our mental health or our productivity but there's no questioning the fact that it has opened endless opportunities it is free marketing if you use it well it's enabled people that never before you know would have had a chance or are looking at achieving something and they've been given this incredible opportunity to have this online voice and to reach many people. It, it's important that we do talk about that. And also the expectations of different generations. You can't blanket and 
just say that one size fits all. The same goes of, oh, the millennials or Generation Z or the older generation that we have right now, the war. You know, there's all, <laughs> there's all sorts of comparisons. And I do think that comparison really doesn't help. And the definition of success as you discuss, is the fact that we get, we need to examine all of this, what it means to us professionally and personally, and then how we're going to achieve it. But I'm going to move on to questions from our listeners. Um, Leah has said, how did you know when the right time was to start the business? Oh, okay. I think that there's the, the main answer to this is that there's never a right time. And that I guess... Overall, if your first product is, if you don't look back and your first product isn't something that you're kind of not quite embarrassed by, but you know, isn't the perfect product, isn't something you'd want to be producing now, then you started too late. So mm. like, you're never going to get it just right. You're never, often you're not going to be able to afford to create the perfect product before you can release it. So there's the idea of this thing called a minimum viable product, which is talked about a lot about in the Lean Startup by Eric Ries, Rice something like that anyway um and yeah and he um (laughs) and and it's you know and I think that the important thing is understanding that because otherwise you know it's really easy to be very perfectionist when it comes to something like starting a business and it's important to have high standards don't get me wrong so I'd I'd say the the most important thing is really honing your concept you know what are you offering what are you not offering what are you offering that's different from other people are you solving a problem that's existing in the industry or are you changing people's entire perceptions of a product they already use or a brand new product and really understanding exactly what your concept is and I think as soon as you've got that you're pretty close to being able to to go it completely depends on your situation on whether you have an investment backing it or your own investment Mm. backing it or you're doing it as a side hustle alongside a job but I'd say the general rule is the sooner the better um because you'll often learn something from your customers within the first few weeks that you'd actually never have thought of no matter how long you spend on the product so for example the first business I started it was probably I'd probably been working on it a few weeks before I launched it and that was because it was a digital product so it wasn't much at all I needed some money being perfectly mm. honest and I and I put it together and I marketed it and sold it my second business however was a lot more conceptual it was a lot more of a problem uh, of a solution to a problem and so I spent a year on it before I even launched it and that was also because I had the financial backing at that point to be able to do that um, and it was really important to me to get that concept exactly right so I guess a long-winded way of saying that there is never <laughs> a specific time for a business that makes it ready but there is always going to be more to do so I'd say sooner rather than later um, and listen to people's criticism too when you tell someone at a dinner that you know this is what you're doing and they say like doesn't this company do this or oh I've actually already had this from this place listen to that hone your concept make it better because because if those people are asking that then that your customers will be asking the exact same thing Wonderful advice, definitely. And that kind of leads on to the question we've got from Kim, who said she procrastinates too much. And I love that you just said, just do it, because the question is, how can I just get on with it? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the important thing with that, I, I actually did a podcast recently with um, with Dr. Grace Lorden, who's actually mm-hmm. um, does a lot of um, kind of work around around kind of like popular psychology and how that and how that affects our work and she's got a fantastic book as well um and 
she talks a lot about procrastination and what that actually is. Um, so I'd, I'd recommend her as a kind of real, um, a, a real kind of powerhouse on this topic. But I'd say for me, what's really helped is just being, understanding how I procrastinate and why I procrastinate and then being able to fight those things. So I procrastinate, for example, by doing admin. So I do easier work that's not gonna really m- mean I engage my brain, but I still feel like I'm working. So I don't really have the kick up the bum to actually want to do more. <laughs> and so what I've really realized is that that is procrastination that's not me actually doing effective work and one of the most effective ways of kind of combating that for me was just planning planning what Mm. I was going to do when how long that took me and understanding that actually you know my most important thing is that I do my worst task first that's the the idea of this thing called like eat the frog I believe um and and people I um, haven't heard that eat the frog no google eat the frog and it's it's quite funny I I remember reading about it and I was like I feel like I'm missing something here because this sounds strange um but (laughs) but yeah it's the idea of doing your worst task first um always and that's something that's really helped me but everyone procrastinates so differently. Um, and that's what I really learned from Dr. Lorden as well. And so it's really hard mm. to kind of say like, don't procrastinate with this, don't procrastinate with this. Learn your procrastination and learn what you do that is your procrastination and then you can combat it. Amazing, absolutely amazing. I've just Googled it. Yeah, it looks a lot of stuff, even books coming up called Eat the Frog. Um, yeah. Right, so yeah, books, there's lots of them apparently on Google. Um, Phoebe has said, um, I'm shortly starting my first job. In terms of expectations and reality, how will these match up? Oh. <laughs> well, uh, how do we know no. what job you're um, starting as well? And then, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that um, often allow yourself to kind of get lost in the expectation like I think that's it's not necessarily something that's bad I think that you know I loved dreaming of kind of like the the glossiness of like the boardroom and these meetings and these important things and feeling feeling kind of like I was on top of the world in a high like a high-rise building like in the city and like allow yourself to get lost in it you can romanticize it you can like enjoy that I think the important thing though is to also be open-minded about what that will actually look like. Cause you know, the majority of workplaces, including mine sometimes are just, you know, they'll just, they're just boring. They're operational, they're business as usual. So the important thing is just allowing yourself to keep that open mind um, and go into it with that open mind so that you can understand, you know, how best to do your job, how your manager likes your job being done, how you could potentially improve that and make it more streamlined and make it more exciting for you and therefore the works better. Um, so, so just keep that open mind, but also don't, it's not necessarily bad that expectation doesn't equal reality it's Mm. just something we need to be mindful of um, and allow yourself to enjoy that because you know starting a new job and and things like that and trying new things is actually really it's it's very exciting and it's not something we do often so enjoy it yeah I mean Phoebe the fact you even asked that question means you're aware that reality is different to expectations which is a great starting point anyway um and then we've got the last question uh, which I think is very useful out of picking those I think from Amy and she said what are your top tips for standing out in a crowded marketplace oh I like this one yeah yeah it's um, a good one so once again once again, completely depends on what you do. It depends whether you're a self-employed artist or a new brand or someone who's working in a corporate job who wants to stand out among other interns or something. And I think, you know, I have a whole chapter in the book about this idea of kind of creative uniqueness and the idea that actually bringing your creativity and your uniqueness to everything um, or to anything you do is 
kind of the benefit it's a win-win so on the one hand you enjoy it more and then on the other hand you know it makes your work more valuable and it makes your work more one of a kind and it makes you irreplaceable um and so I think you know that's something that I really read into and that I read into it so much because actually I can see the results it's had for also my team members you know mm. I work with people who used to do completely different jobs and I was just like you you're great will you come and do this for me and mm -hmm. and they've kind of been able to shape their careers exactly based off what they're go good at and doing that in a kind of creative way that was completely unique to themselves um and so I think you know where you can embrace those differences embrace what you do well that's slightly different from other people um and see how you can thread that through your work more talk to your manager if you think that something could be done quicker and more streamlined um and you know that's what I spent a lot of my time doing at IBM because when I got there I was just you, you know it was a largely a reporting job and I thought well this takes hours it could take this much quicker if we just did this this different thing and to me that was not only important for making my job more enjoyable but actually I guess made it probably better I'd hope um for for the people <laughs> I was reporting to because things are done quicker or their mm. interns happier and and kind of all of these things so so I guess it completely depends and I can't give as specific advice because I don't know what, what perspective it's coming from but I guess the main thing is really embracing your creativity and embracing your uniqueness um and just be open-minded about things different managers will react in different ways especially um people who have been there longer or perhaps less experienced managers will be less open to change um and so a kind of know your audience and approach it bearing on it bear, like completely depending on who it is um but I think that the important thing there is yeah really embracing that um you know your creativity and and what makes you unique and bringing that mm. to your work Oh, lovely. And I can hear the passion when you were speaking about that. It was wonderful. Thank, thank you for your tips there. Now, we have our fact or fiction round, which I think you're going to love. Are you ready? Is it a test? Well, no. Because I prefer to revise beforehand. I know. <laughs> I knew you'd say something like that. No, so you just need to answer fact or fiction, whatever you feel like, to the following questions, Grace. Okay? Are you ready? Okay. Go. <laughs> okay. Burnout is inevitable unless you find a happy work-life balance. Fact. Even the shortest of walks helps productivity. Fact. Working from home is more productive than in an office. Oh, oh I don't like... Oh, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's complicated. I think it, it depends on the person. <laughs> we'll say faction. Um, <laughs> breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Fiction. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. But everyone's unique and as we know, no one size fits all. Um removing notifications will make you work smarter. Uh fact. Creating a to-do list that's unrealistic does more harm than good. Fact. Working with friends is not conductive to hard work. Oh. Um I should have said conducive. Not conducive to hard work. <laughs> Don't worry, I literally had to look up a word every few seconds when I was writing the book. Um, uh, no, I think that's fiction. Yeah, I'd like to agree with that one. Um, sleep is one of the biggest influences to changing and achieving your goals. Fact. Nature supports mental health. Fact. And anyone can build a brand. Fact. Yeah, that was it. That's the fact or fiction round. Oh, did I pass? 
That was my grade. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is the thing. And you know, it's even worse when we do it with scientists and there's no black or white. You can imagine how hard it is saying, because everything's got nuance, hasn't it? Um, Right, so that does nearly wrap up the episode. But we always finish Grace with a food for thought. And I think... I guess I'll start today by just saying that from speaking with you on this episode today, I think everybody has different pressures internally that they put on themselves and also externally, I guess. And delegation is also really important. And it's something that I know Mm -hmm. you speak about a lot. It's really important that we do that. And I think we've lost a concept of what makes us happy. And I guess it's from my experience as a nutritional health professional, and I see it in clinic all the time, that if something doesn't make you happy, there's just no point. And you've got to really look at how you view success in order to follow any kind of route in your life. So Grace, what final food for thought would you leave our listeners today with a kind of take home nugget of information or i would say probably that i think sometimes you need to be productive in order to engage in self-care and sometimes self-care is the most productive thing you can do i think that can be my my catchy catchphrase food for thought Grace, that was a wonderful take-home message. So eloquently put and straight to the point. Um, Thank thank you you. so much. And where can all our listeners go to find out a lot more about you and your new book? So they can go to at Grace Beverly on Instagram, which is me. Um, And I have links (laughs) in my bio about the book. Or you can buy Working Hard, Hardly Working from all good bookshops. But please think about supporting smaller bookstores, um, especially in this time. Oh, that was was great. Thank you, Grace, for coming on Food for Thought. No, thank you so much for having me. If you are enjoying Food for Thought, you'll absolutely love our up and coming episodes. So if you don't already subscribe, then make sure that you click to be the first to hear it every Monday. It would be brilliant as well if you have the time to leave a review and that would mean that we could reach higher highs in the charts and that would result in hopefully helping more and more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and TikTok. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.